our Bibles to John chapter 1. This morning we will continue our series on the names of Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, we'll read verses 1 through 2, and then skip down to verse 14. If you want to turn to Revelation 19, also keep a finger there in that passage, and we'll finish by reading Revelation 19. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now go with me to Revelation chapter 19, verse 13. And He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and His name is called the Word of God. Often when we think of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, we think of Matthew chapter 1 and 2 and also Luke chapter 2. When we think of the coming of Christ, we often think of angels and shepherds and mangers and King Herod. And without all those things, it's kind of hard to imagine Christmas or the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But John chapter 1 is actually speaking of His coming without mentioning any of those things. It says the Word, verse 14, was made flesh. These are some of the most important words in all of the Bible. This is the great truth that sets Christianity apart from all other religions. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Aren't you glad to know that God didn't remain remote and unapproachable, but He came and dwelt among us. Aren't you glad that He didn't just write us a letter? Aren't you glad He didn't just give us the law there from that mountaintop? Aren't you glad that the Infinite One became an infant born in a manger? Now, that's a mystery. The Bible states it this way in 1 Timothy 3.16, Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. No matter how many times I've read this book and poured uh, through the Gospels, I still cannot fathom the fact that God became flesh and dwelt among us. That is certainly a mystery. The Creator of the universe dwelling with His creation. Let me say this, when He came here, He avoided nothing. Not hunger, not sleeplessness, not thirst, not pain, not suffering, not death. He came to die in place of those who deserve to die. Try to comprehend that. He came to suffer for those that deserve to suffer. Now it's misunderstood because he came as a king, but appeared as a servant. In John, when he wrote this book, he was writing to both the Greeks and to the Jews. He was trying to reach both. He was trying to show them the deity of Christ. How could he do that? They thought, these are two people that thought very differently. The Greeks were guided by words, by philosophies, by philosophers. And the Jews were guided by principle and by prophets. So he reached them both, teaching the deity of Christ by saying, In the beginning was the Word. Now the Jews understood this, because back when they were given the third commandment, they understood that they were not to take the name of the Lord their God in vain. And they were so careful about disobeying that commandment that oftentimes instead of referring to 
Jehovah God as God. They'd refer to him as the Blessed One or the Holy One, but more often than not, they would refer to him as the Word. So when John spoke of Christ and referred to him as the Word, they understood that Jesus Christ was the very Son of God. Words communicate. We all know that. You drove up this morning, saw a sign that said, Capital City Baptist Church. That identified this building as a church. It identified us as a group as Baptists. And underneath it says independent. That means we're independent of any affiliation. Those words define who we are and what we believe. They identify us. Words give direction, instruction, clarification, understanding, and wisdom. And he is called the Word. Now look what it says in verse 1. In the beginning. Now we're talking about the everlasting Word, the preexistent Word, the pre Flesh word in the beginning was the word, was Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, the word, was with God. And Jesus Christ, the word, was God. Aren't you glad to know that Jesus Christ always was, is, and always will be? Now, here's what we forget. You cannot separate these two, Jesus and the Word. When he said, forever, O Lord, thy Word is established in heaven. You cannot separate those two, Jesus from the Word. Look what it says in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. We know in Psalms 33, 6, it says this, By the Word of the Lord were the heavens made. When God spoke, Those words were Jesus Christ. Now, in our finite mind, it's hard to comprehend what we're trying to explain this morning. But when it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, it doesn't say the Word was an attribute of God, or the Word was a shadow of God, or the Word was made by God, but that the Word was God manifest in the flesh. Now, I want you to see a few things this morning. Surprisingly, after having said that the Word was God, look what it says in verse 4. In Him was life. So the Word became flesh. The Word dwelt among us. And it says, in Him was life. In Jesus was life. And the life was the light of men. And that light, Jesus Christ, that light sent from heaven, shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And we still see, true today, that the darkness cannot, does not comprehend Jesus Christ as the light of the world. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light. John was not that light. But he was sent to bear witness of that light, Jesus Christ. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world. Speaking of Jesus. The world was made by him. Yet, what's it say? The world knew him not. He came unto his own. And his own received him not. And we're not just talking about the eternal word this morning. We're talking about 
the rejected word because when Christ came in the flesh to his own, he was immediately rejected. I remember last year when we went to North Korea, normally when you travel to a foreign country, in foreign countries you're seen as a walking dollar bill. People want your business. They know you are there as a tourist. They want to sell anything they can to you for as much money as they can possibly get. But North Korea, when we walked around in the marketplace, they looked at us as if we did not exist. They did not acknowledge your presence because you are the imperialist, because you are the enemy, because they have been taught from childhood that you are the bad guy, when you walk in the marketplace, although I'm sure they want your money, they've been told not to communicate with you. What an awkward time it was for those four days, spending time in a country where you're looked at as the enemy. Now, can you imagine Jesus Christ coming to his own creation? The awkwardness, now, he had been worshipped and adored throughout all eternity, in heaven, and suddenly he comes to this earth as a man. Now, he was a hundred percent man, a hundred percent God. This is hard to understand. It's hard to reconcile the concept of him being all man and all God at the same time. Philippians 2 6 through 8 puts it this way Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even to the death of the cross. Now, why was he rejected? Because there's misconception. Did the prophets not foretell his coming? Was there a misunderstanding? Were the Jews not waiting for the Messiah? Had John the Baptist not prepared the way of the Lord? There's a misconception who he would be, how he would come, what he would accomplish on this earth. And here's what the Bible says in Luke 9:22. Here's what Christ said, saying, the Son of Man. Now, 88 times in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 88 times you see him referred to as the Son of Man. So while those around him thought he would come as the king, he refers to himself as the Son of Man, and he says the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be slain and be raised again the third day. This is what they could not understand. Matter of fact, in Matthew 16, when Christ teaches this, Peter becomes disturbed, rebukes the Lord Jesus Christ because he had just recognized him as the Son of God. No, it's hard for us to know the Scripture. It's hard for us to believe this book. It's hard for us to understand that God, number one, would come in the flesh. But when He is revealed in the flesh, that man would not, despite the miracles, despite His power. Now listen, the power of the spoken word is incredible. You see in His ministry, everything that He says immediately comes to pass. That's the power of the spoken word, the Lord Jesus Christ. But despite all of that, he was still rejected. Man could not accept the fact that he was God in the flesh. And that's still taking place today. 
Isn't it absolutely amazing how religious society in the United States of America has become? You can talk about church. You can use terminology. Just make sure it's not Bible terminology. Make sure it's not biblical terminology. You can talk about an awesome God. You can talk about feelings and emotions. You can talk about the power that takes place in a church setting and people will listen to you. But as soon as you talk about Jesus Christ, the Word, now you're in trouble. As soon as you open up this book, which is a revelation of God, which is Jesus Christ, if you talk about the specifics of the coming of Jesus Christ, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the only uh, glory, the begotten of the Son of God. Listen, when you speak of those things, people get disturbed. You talk about Jesus Christ being the only way, the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father, but by Him people get disturbed. You know what you can't do in your workplace? Listen, if you go to a church that doesn't magnify Jesus Christ or this Word, you can speak about it in a job setting and not disturb anyone. But if you bring this book closed, don't even read it. A book that says, Holy Bible, they know that is the Word the Word of God, that's disturbing. Oh, you can talk about being Mormon or Muslim or Jehovah Witness or another religion, having another creed, but as soon as you talk about Jesus Christ and His shed blood, suddenly you've done something very offensive in this society. This world has repeatedly not just for centuries, but for millenniums, rejected Jesus Christ, the Word. The power of this Word, look what it says in John chapter 1. Go back with me. Look at the power of the Word in verse 12. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. Think about that kind of power. No one on this planet has the power to make you another man's son. Oh, they can adopt you, but I cannot speak the word and make you a child of Keith Stensis. And that's the power of this word, the saving power. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power. That's a powerful word. You know, if you look back in the Old Testament, you think about those animals that were sacrificed. And they were substitutionary. The sacrifice that was temporary, pointing to the coming Lamb of God. But there was going to be, have to be a more permanent sacrifice. A man. Not a priest, not a prophet, but someone perfect, without sin, acceptable to God. Look what it says in 1 John. John wrote several books. 1 John was one of those. Look what he stated Jesus Christ would be that perfect sacrifice, doing away with the old covenant, writing a new covenant. Look what John says in 1 John 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, the word that we had heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, our hands have handled. Look what it says. 
The Word of Life. Who is this speaking of? Who's the Word? Jesus Christ. For the life was manifested. We have seen it and bear witness and shown to you that eternal life, which was with the Father, was manifested unto us. Aren't you glad that we have been saved through the power of this Word? How many think there's any chance you could have been saved? You could have been born again. You could have passed from death to life. You could receive forgiveness of sins outside of this Word. Outside of Jesus Christ. Impossible. The church doesn't have that power. Baptism does not have that power. Isn't it amazing the religions preach that baptism has the power to change someone from a child of the devil to a child of God? Isn't it amazing to think that that water might be able to wash you clean of your sin? That water does not have that power. No church has the power. When you walk through those doors, you don't walk into the kingdom of God Only Christ, only the Word has the power to take you from a sinner and give you special seating in the heavenlies. Make sure you've been forgiven your sins. That's the power of God, the power of the Word, the power of Jesus Christ. Made flesh, dwelling among us. I read this past week, a story about Booker T. Washington. He was born a slave. He's one of the great educators Uh, In our country, uh, he headed the Tuskegee Institute. But in his autobiography of From Slavery, he tells a story, and I, in order not to misquote it, I actually wrote it, uh, copied it out. I'll read a little section of it to you. He said, The most trying ordeal that I was forced to endure as a slave boy was the wearing of a flak shirt. Now, I'm not for sure what he's talking about because I never had to wear a flak shirt. In uh, uh, this portion of Virginia where I lived, it was common to use flax as part of the clothing for the slaves. That part of the flax form which our clothing was made was largely the refuse, which of course was the cheapest and roughest part. I can scarcely imagine any torture, except perhaps the pulling of a tooth, that is equal to that caused by putting on a new flax shirt for the first time. It is almost equal to the feeling that one would experience if he had a dozen or more chestnut burrs or a hundred small pinpoints in contact with his flesh at one time. But I had no choice. I had to wear the flax shirt because I was a slave. My brother John, who's several years older than I am, performed one of the most generous acts that I'd ever heard of one slave relative doing for another. On several occasions when I was being forced to wear a new flax shirt, he generously agreed to put it on in my stead. And he'd wear it for several days till it was all broken in just for me. Do you know Jesus did that for you? He came. As a human suffered, would all humans suffer for us? And then, he didn't just wear the flag shirt, then he became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made righteousness of God in him. This word is powerful. It has the power to save. Go back with me to John chapter 17. No one else, nothing else, has that power. The Word was so powerful, while He hung there on the cross, He looked out at those who had crucified Him and said, Father, forgive them, 
for they know not what they do. That's a powerful word. Look what it says in John chapter 17, verse 15. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. Wouldn't that be nice if he had made that prayer? Just to be taken out? Can you imagine if, if as soon as you got born again, you got raptured straight to heaven? You said the prayer and suddenly you're walking on streets of gold. You went from aches and pains and problems and cares and lack of money and struggles in life and an imperfect relationship with your spouse uh, to suddenly entering all of heaven's glory simply because you said, after having received Christ as your Savior, in Jesus' name, amen, and wow, took you straight to heaven. Boy, that'd be beautiful. It just doesn't happen that way. And Christ said, I don't want you to take them out of this earth or out of this world, but thou shouldest keep them from evil. You know what his desire is? That we should be sanctified and set apart in a wicked world. He wants us to be moving forward in the process of sanctification while on this earth. And here's what we've stopped preaching. We've stopped preaching Jesus Christ, the Word, produces sanctification in the life of the believer. He has that kind of power. You know what the Word does? Sanctifies you. You get in this book and Jesus in you is still the hope of glory. You get Christ living inside of you and you fill yourself with this book and this Word and suddenly you will find yourself sanctified. And the further you're from it, the further you are from sanctification. And the closer you are to it, the closer you are to sanctification. You are a revelation to your relationship with Jesus Christ because when you are full of this book, you're full of this Word, you are walking sanctified. And the less you have of this book, the less sanctified you live. And it's obvious to everyone around, did you know you cannot hide? You cannot hide what you have of Jesus inside of you. You cannot hide how full you are of this book because it's revealed in your sanctification. It's no secret, your relationship with Jesus Christ. Your kids know Your friends know, those sitting around you know, how your relationship with the Word is. They're not of this world, even as I'm not of the world. And people ought to know that. Did you know people ought to look at you and listen to you and watch you and know He's here, but He's not one of us. He works with us, He walks with us, but He's certainly not one of us. And if they think you are of this world, you have a problem with sanctification because this Word has the power to sanctify. You don't have that power. You try to sanctify yourself outside of the help, the Holy Spirit's help, you are in trouble. You'll fail. You'll be miserable trying to do it. You look at sanctification as a bunch of rules and regulations. Made up by man. Listen, when you get full of this book, there's nothing about rules and regulation. There's something about a walk with God that sanctifies your daily life. You're not sitting around trying to criticize some man-made rule. You're saying, I want God to be revealed through my daily life. I pray not, verse 15, 
that thou shouldest take them out of the world. Just keep them from evil. Verse 17, sanctify them. Did you know that's still not just a divine desire, but a divine order? Sanctify them through thy truth. Who is truth? Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. Why could he say that? Because he is the word. And look what he says. Thy word is truth. Jesus is the word. He is truth, which produces. It has the power to produce sanctification. Verse 21. That they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee. That they also may be one in us. Do you not think as you grow in being one with God the Father, God the Son, that you won't be more conformed to their image and be sanctified? Can you say, looking at what you did and how you acted this week, the things you said, the places you went, the people you were around, all of who you are and what you said and thought this week, can the world, can your children, can your friends, can your employees, can your employer... All say He is one with the Father. He is one with the Word. He is one with the Son because they see sanctification seeping out of your pores. That's what happens when you get Jesus Christ who is the Word and you soak yourself in the Word. The natural result is sanctification. You know why we have a society that calls themselves Christian and there is no sanctification on any level because the Word is not seeping out of their pores. The world is seeping out of their pores. Verse 26, I have declared unto them thy name and will declare it that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them. And look what he says, and I in them. When this world looks at you, does this world see Jesus in you? Can they see? say, I see Jesus in them? That happens through the power of sanctification. And the Word is the only thing that has the power to sanctify. Now go back with me to John chapter 1. Look what it says in verse 14, a verse that we have quoted repeatedly this morning. John 1, verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You know what the Word was? Jesus Christ, the Word, was a perfect revelation of God the Father. Now, God is invisible. God cannot be seen. God should be revealed and wants to be revealed through every single Christian. He wants His glory revealed through every Christian. Because He is invisible, He wants to be made visible. And one of the ways He was revealed was through the Word, the written Word, and then the living Word, Jesus Christ. That revelation in the tabernacle was temporary. That revelation in the temple was Temporary. That revelation on Mount Sinai of God and His glory was temporary. Even the revelation of Jesus Christ was temporary. His glory was revealed just for 33 and a half years. But God wants His glory revealed through every single Christian. But here's how it was revealed through Jesus Christ. What set Him apart? Because if you just looked at Him, you would say, this is a man like any other man. He became tired. He slept in a boat. He agonized and sweat. 
He retired from the crowd because he was weary and worn out. He ate. He became thirsty. We see all those human attributes in him, but what set him apart from any other human? Right here it says he was full of grace and truth. Now, if you look at his life, boy, we could spend all morning on this one simple thought. This was a perfect revelation of God the Father because he was full of grace. He was so full of truth that he looked at Judas hours before he would be betrayed and crucified. And he said, my betrayer is right here, and he even identified him. But he was so full of grace that he was willing to travel with that man for three and a half years and even wash his feet and love him to such a degree that no one else even identified him as the betrayer. Christ was so full of truth that he called the Pharisees hypocrites. Try that sometime. He looked at them and called them whited sepulchers, fools, blind, serpents. I don't recommend that you do any of that. But he was so full of truth, he did that. Yet so full of grace that he constantly gave them the opportunity to not only listen and hear, but also to repent and receive Christ as Savior. He was so full of truth that one day he walked in the temple, turned those tables over... And cast out the money changers, yet so full of grace, the minutes later he was healing the sick and preaching the Holy Scripture. He was so full of truth that there at the well, he met up with that woman and told her, you have five husbands. And the man that you're living with right now, he's not even officially your husband. And then he was so full of grace that he offered her the opportunity to drink from the everlasting well. He was so full of truth that out there on that boat in the middle of the storm, he uh, told his disciples, Oh, ye of little faith! But so full of grace, he still calmed the storm, spoke the words, and showed his love. He was so full of truth that he looked at Peter one day and called him Satan. Yet so full of grace that a year later, he had that same man, Peter, preach Pentecost where 3,000 souls were saved. That's a revelation of God. God is supposed to be revealed, and God wants you to reveal God, and the way to do that is for you to live full of grace and truth, and for the most part, We're not that balanced. We either err on the side of truth or we err on the side of grace. That's why so many churches today are growing so fast because they've stopped preaching the truth and literally all of their emphasis now has become grace. And then you have churches that don't grow at all because they simply preach the truth and show no grace. And we're supposed to be balanced because that is a revelation of God. And Christ was the perfect revelation because we see absolute truth. 
revealed in his life. He was full of truth, but also absolute grace revealed every day, manifested in every action. Let's see one more thing will be done. John chapter 5. John chapter 5, verse 22. Before we read this, here's what I want you to think about as we close. Jesus, the Word, is the final Word. And here's what man doesn't like. Because in this day and age, no one likes authority. Give me a church without authority. Give me a home without authority. Why do you think we have chaos from top to bottom? Not just in our homes, but in our churches, in our government. Every institution, God-ordained institution, now is experiencing extreme chaos because we've defied Bible principle, which is establishing authority in each one of those institutions. We don't like a final authority. We don't like a final word. And Jesus Christ has the final word. How many children like to argue until dad walks in the door? And then each one gives their side of the story. Each one tries to manipulate the truth. Each one tries to get dad on their side, but they know ultimately his word is the final word. And at some point, it ends all argument. Here's what man actually thinks. Man is convinced that his word is the final word. Man is convinced, I don't need this word. I don't need Jesus Christ. I am my own authority. I've established myself as the final authority. And that will help me gain entrance in the eternal life and into heaven. I'm sorry, you're not the final authority when it comes to eternal life. You're not the judge. Oh, on this earth, man has established himself as the judge. And my truth is the truth. My thoughts, here's what man thinks, are higher than everyone else's thoughts. My ways are higher than everyone else's ways. And I have identified the truth. Matter of fact, I'm the source of all truth. I just wish everyone else would realize that. There's only one problem with that. John chapter 5, verse 22. The Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. If you've ever been to court, the one with all the power in the courtroom is not the attorney. It's not the jury. It's the judge. The judge determines what evidence is allowed and what evidence is disallowed. Make the final decision and give the final sentence. Here's what man actually has convinced himself of. If there is a judgment, number one, I'll be able to plead my case. I'll be able to, to sway whoever is judge or jury. Man is actually convinced, when I stand before God, I'll have people in my favor. I'll have my children testify in my favor. I doubt they do that. I'll have my wife testify in my favor. I doubt she does that. I'll have those around me testify in my favor. Just hope they don't tell the truth on you or you're in trouble. But the final judgment is not about others. The final judgment is about the Son. And God the Father has given all judgment, committed all judgment unto the Son. And most people have tricked most people. Did you know you are not who you appear to be? You know that. 
That which everyone else sees, that person, that facade that you've maintained, you have perfected the art of looking like the persona that you have created over the years. And I have a persona of being this image created in your minds. And most people have so perfected it, they've actually convinced themselves they are who they've acted on being. But the son, the judge, knows the real you. Uh, Many times in life we've had people and their true self revealed and there's a shock that comes with that. And people stand back and say, oh, wow, wait, some of you have even had close friends. You thought you knew who your friends were and then suddenly the real them was revealed. And sometimes that's a very pleasant thing and sometimes that's a very unpleasant thing. Don't you like to be surprised in a pleasant way? Don't you like it when you had a bad impression of someone and they changed that impression because when you realized who they were and the nice person they were and the giving and the sacrificial, the helpful, the kind person that they were, the compassion, you said, man, I made a mistake about that person. I misjudged his character. And then at other times, you held someone in high esteem and then uh, the truth was revealed that that was just a persona. That was just an image. That was just a facade. Behind that facade, there was a lot of wickedness hidden. Behind that facade, there were sins, immorality, hatred, strife, confusion in every evil work. When that mask was pulled off, boy, were you ever disappointed. Did you know at the judgment, Jesus Christ will pull off every mask? And here's what the Bible says in Philippians 2.9. We read earlier, verses 6-8. through 8. Let's finish reading the text. Verse 9-11 through 11 says, Wherefore God hath also highly exalted Him, speaking of Jesus Christ, the Word, the Judge. He's given Him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Second Timothy 4.1 says this, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing and at His kingdom. This is the final word. A verse has been quoted many times over the past few weeks and mentioned even in Brother Larry Brown's preaching this past week. Matthew chapter 7 speaks of Christ the judge and those that die and hoping that they can justify themselves, hoping that they can be their own defense attorney, saying, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And he says, you're right. Haven't we cast out devils? You're right. Have we not done many wonderful works? And he says, you're right again. But there are some problems here. One of those, you've never been born again. I don't even know you. His word is the final word. Here's what man wants to do. Create his own mind, God in his own image. Create his own way of salvation. 
This is what I'm going to do, and God in the end will have to accept me as I am. No, God will not accept you as you are. God accepts what He tells you to do, and the requirement is to repent of your sins, trust Christ as your Savior. That's the only thing God can and will accept. But He's the final word. Christians, you've accepted Jesus Christ, the Word. You trusted in the Word the moment you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember that time you knelt down, you prayed, you remember that Jesus Christ indwelt you. You remember the changes that happened. You remember suddenly your desires had changed. You knew there was someone living inside of you. But the problem is, you've not made the Word important, and because of that, You've known, you've experienced the power of the Word to save, but you have not experienced the power of the Word to sanctify you. You don't have that power. You don't even have that desire. That can only be done through the Word. Let me ask you this. How long have you been saved and how far have you come in your sanctification? When you're in disagreement with Jesus Christ, you're in disagreement with the Word. And here's what man has done. Because he doesn't like sanctification, he doesn't like the Word. So he must change the Word. He wants a newer version, what we call a perversion. He wants to do what Satan did way back in the garden. Let's just change a few words. And if I still use this book, the inspired book, the holy book, the preserved word of God, I've got to find a way to still insert my opinions. And I, I never, uh, never stop and never cease to be amazed at how many Christians, when they don't like the word and they don't like the sanctification that comes through the word, suddenly their opinion is elevated above this book. It's elevated above the name of Jesus Christ to justify the lack of sanctification in their life. Sanctify them, Christ said. Sanctify them, Christ prayed. His desire was sanctify them through truth. Thy word is truth. 